Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we're talking Netflix original joint, The Five Bloods. Do you feel like Spike Lee was really trying to root and legitimize his story in cultural figures and have their sort of authenticity and credibility bleed over into this into his film? This film is not based on actual events, so I felt like he used the socio-political climate and prominent figures from that time to lend it credibility and authenticity. I think I just totally stole your thought. And it did make me confused. Is this part of his narrative device to make us feel like this is a film based on actual events? wasn't based on historical fact. It was based on historical movies because those were all over the place. And, and Apocalypse Now was a pretty overt, right? And the treasure hunting element came from the treasure of Sierra Madre, which Spike Lee apparently really loves. Well, and it's referenced when the Vietnamese terrorist guy is like, we don't need no official government badges. <laughs> Directly quoted from that movie, absolutely. And then more contemporary, uh, Three Kings had similar elements in that they were looking for the gold. Inglorious Bastards, where there was a rogue squad on a very special mission, you know, driven kind of more by their personal agenda. It also made me think a lot about Stand By Me, a bunch of friends going on this journey, because when a gun is introduced to the situation, you know bad things are coming. Also, I don't understand why they were so upset about the gun being introduced. I mean, they all were veterans. They all knew how to handle it. And they were just going into country. I get that Vietnam is a different place, but they were all going in with no weapons at all. It's a peaceful time and and whatever. But yeah, it was a little weird that they were so upset about it, especially Delroy. But Delroy was just kind of crazy and untrusting throughout. Oh, the magnificent Delroy Lindo, who I was really excited when he showed up. Well, weren't you excited by his performance? Not even a little bit. What? No. no. He was Delroy Lindo as Paul is totally getting a nomination. He was all over the place. He just didn't seem right. None of the acting felt right to me. It all felt fake. It would, I mean, it's difficult because this didn't really work as a dramatic narrative. Looking at it from an actor perspective, it was jarring that they were all old in their roles. And I get it. That, you mean the flashbacks? It was jarring that they were old in their flashbacks. Right. And I, and, and I get it that they were old because they saw themselves as they are now. They placed themselves in that older narrative, except somebody forgot to tell us that part. This movie is all over the place in terms of style. And I think he 
He's keeping us on our toes. He's reminding us that he has a voice and that this is that the storytelling is self-aware. If, if it felt unnatural, it's because that's Spike Lee's kind of style of filmmaking. But I felt like the acting was all done as real as possible and it felt authentic to the to the scenes. I really liked the premise. I was very encouraged when they all showed up and they were meeting and it was practical and it, re- it was real and it wasn't flashy or psychedelic or over-dramatized. They were showing up in country and, and country had McDonald's in it and KFC and all this stuff, right? And it looks very different and they're wearing, wearing Hawaiian shirts and junk and they're like hanging out at the nightclub and drinking and, and people are hitting them up for donations and stuff. And I thought this is a really cool premise because people tend to romanticize the events and the trauma that brought them together. Everybody remembers Norm finally. They're going to go back and reclaim their fallen Conrad and and also in conjuring his ghost and kind of in bringing Norm home, they're also conjuring up their own ghosts. And I thought this is going to be exciting. This is going to be great. And then the gold was sort of tangential, but also was a huge motivator. And as somebody said, the gold really will change a person. Practically speaking, when they're all in different spaces in their lives, professionally and financially, you can see how it's going to cause some discord. And that was no surprise. But beyond that, as each person found their role and really started acting it out, Delroy went off the, this kind of whole movie, I felt went off the rails very quickly. And I had a hard time keeping track. So in his descent, Paul's descent, into utter madness, like Martin Sheen's character in Apocalypse Now, mostly which was told in an understated, quiet, contemplative way, mostly through his eyes, Paul was the opposite. He was what I consider to be Spike Lee's rage for this movie. We control our rage. Mm -hmm. And he was all rage all the time, and it caused him to act erratically. And in the course of that, Delroy Lindo's transformative process never had the nuance that made me track that journey. He seemed normal, if a little bit angry, and he definitely seemed to be still troubled, as was evidenced by their tour through the floating market. But by the time he got back into country, I feel like he was pretty well crazy. And David didn't help. David only served to offset and be a reminder of his life back home. But the performances were offhand enough in his responses that you never really, really felt the shift. He was acting manic and erratic, and that didn't lead to an arc that I could really latch on to. Well, he didn't start not crazy and then go crazy. He started crazy and then went crazier. And you didn't feel like there was an escalation in his craziness when he was talking to himself, a.k.a. to the camera when he's bushwhacking through the Vietnamese jungle. and. Yeah, but that was at the very end. That was right before his death. He was essentially what I felt to be Spike Lee's mouthpiece. You know, the man is trying to keep us down and fight this war for him. And it makes sense that I would lose this gold, of course, that it would go back to Norm, that I never get what I want. But I tell you what, I tell you what, they're not going to kill Paul. They're not going to kill Paul. Paul is going to come through, right? Black Panther raised fist symbol, black power symbol. And then he died. Blam. Shot like 60 times. Well, he died, but he died with clarity. And I don't think that Paul or... The film, for that matter, is Spike Lee's mouthpiece. I feel like Spike Lee, as filmmaker, is trying to speak on behalf of all black people and the black experience. Do you have a handle on what Spike Lee is trying to say? 
what I gather from watching Dear Spike Lee, the R.J. Cutler produced series on Apple TV. Quite simply, he's giving a voice to the black experience. And I don't know that I could I can claim I understand Spike Lee's motivations. But remember when we talked about when we were kings, I had made a comment about Spike Lee and how kind of affable he was in his interview. Yes. Especially in, in contrast to how kind of militant he appeared at the last Academy Awards. Right. When he made his speech for accepting the award for Black Klansman and when Green Book won, you know, which really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And then I did all kinds of self-reflection about tone policing. And then I watched Dear Spike Lee. And I think I softened to him and to what he was trying to do and to what he means to the black community. I think I just went into it with a more generous kind of spirit. And I thought that Delroy Lindo's performance at Paul was really compelling. I felt like you know, the stylistic stuff always brings me out of the story, but whatever, that's Spike Lee. What we were talking about was specifically the message that Spike Lee as a mouthpiece for the black community imparts. So I feel like the sociopolitical message that he's putting forth in Duff Five Bloods is maybe the only success of the movie. And even in that, it got pretty muddy for me. But uh, I'm going to argue it didn't work as a human drama because it took us out of the experience. We weren't compelled dramatically because of so many things. It makes you sit back and you brush it off saying that's Spike Lee. This movie got great reviews and I think people are kind of afraid to trash this movie because it makes them look like they're against the message that Spike Lee is striving to put on screen. And I don't think that's the case. It was politicized so overtly it made the dramatic heft seem empty for me. Likewise, it didn't work as a war film for obvious reasons. I'm not sure that a single one of those muzzle flashes was real. Delroy Lindo himself spoke to Rolling Stone and said, in this movie, almost nothing, nothing really, was CG. And I laughed because, wow, those gunfights and the helicopter crash, didn't it look not good? It looked a little cheap, it wasn't like expansive war production design or cinematography. If this movie had shown up on the big screen, it just would not have worked from a visual standpoint alone. I disagree. I don't think that it being authentic in terms of war production design and cinematography was necessary to tell this story, especially when the older characters are playing their younger selves. I mean, you had to suspend your disbelief to go back into those flashbacks. It's interesting that you are having this response to this film because I feel like The Five Bloods and Spike Lee's body of work overall is a lot like Quentin Tarantino, who is very self-aware and who is very stylized, and you love him. I do. And uh, Inglorious Bastards featured one moment in talking about Hugo Stieglitz, which featured a Sam Jackson narration. But I will say that with that single Sam Jackson voiceover moment, that was a better black war movie than Da Five Bloods. So you're saying that you're not afraid to not like the Da Five Bloods, despite its message and however it might be important it might be. Yeah, but I'll tell you why I don't like the Five Bloods and then feel free to come at me, bro. The message, it was connected to the political message of back home. 
that they were fighting a white man's war while back home, Martin Luther King Jr. was being assassinated. Cities were on fire. And what's the point? They don't care about you. They send us, they send the bloods to the front line to die while back home, our cities are burning and we get no real recompense. We don't get the American dream. So we are going to claim the American dream for ourselves and bring it back home, except for Norm, the American dream is taking all this money and donating it to the cause. And, you know, for these real practical dudes 50 years on, the American dream was keeping the gold for themselves. So again, connected to the political message back home, but where they were and where this movie was, I would argue, is so far removed from those concepts. We got flashes of of people speaking and Aretha Franklin and Muhammad Ali and all these people and nothing about what was actually happening back home while they were in country as younger men. It was so far removed, it was ineffective in tying those themes that Spike Lee was really striving to to put on screen to what we were seeing on screen. Well, what, I mean, that's for another movie. I mean, what did you expect for there to be flashbacks of modern day life back in the States? Yes, it should have been that movie. Instead, it was a bucket list adventure tale. It was Stand By Me for Seniors on a quest for money in which they were all also looking for Norm, who was a concept. That was confusing. And they never came to be morally redeemed, I don't think. I think they were who they were. One guy took one for the team, literally with the grenade, but Paul never was able to be redeemed. The last anybody saw of him, except us, he was screaming and ranting and quoting Bible verses and stomping off toward the river by himself. And then he died, and he lost the gold in the process. He had his forgiveness. He had a a moment of forgiveness with Norm. But he didn't have a moment of forgiveness with David. And David, conceptually, got his apology and his little note and stuff and Delroy Lindo's explanation of how much he loves him on the couch, but practically speaking, never experienced that. Yeah, I know David experienced the range of his father's insanity and for a moment was kind of back in his good graces and they found places to connect, but ultimately was disowned before his father's death. So this movie was a screenplay that Spike Lee had read or a story that Spike Lee had read about Vietnam vets going to retrieve one of their fallen comrades basic theme, which I really like. And then he had it rewritten to be about black soldiers and the black experience, because that's how Spike Lee do. And I'd feel like a message was thrown up and I'm going to connect this and the black Vietnam experience to the political uprising and upheaval at home and find out where these guys are later. It just didn't feel clean to me. I agree that the whole norm thing was pretty confusing. Like I thought for a good half of the movie that the norm thing was a front and then I was like wait are they really recovering norm or is it about the gold and it was both it was about both but which one was Spike Lee's message we had lots of Vietnamese who were related to former VC who also have their traumas and their PTSD the man in the floating market who said you killed my mother and father the guide whose uncle's were former VC who bought a round of American veterans drinks when they thought they were giving them the, the stink eye. It was It's not to discount the Vietnamese experience. Except that the Vietnamese that were portrayed were pretty caricature-ish. I mean, right, because that's what it came down to. As much as they decried the Rambo movie, it became a Rambo movie in the end. I mean, I agree that the representation of 
the Vietnamese experience maybe wasn't the best part of the film. I mean, Tien especially was just so Vietnamese prostitute come businesswoman stereotypical or offensive. And she looked great for being 70. She looked fabulous, but really, does she lounge around in Revlon red lipstick? And Spike Lee doesn't get a pass for it, but whatever, that's not his forte, you know, accurate representation for Asian actors. But, you know, it was necessary to get into the other side of it, especially when the um, mercenaries or, or the Frenchmen's lackeys, you know, who come after them to steal the gold. The equally great Jean Renault. He was the Frenchman. Yep. Oh. Except unrecognizably fat and old. I was about to say he was kind of portly, and yet he managed to outlive everybody in the gunfight at the temple. Yet being completely ineffective at handling a gun, he he picked up that gun as if he had never touched a gun before. He was Leon, for God's sake. It's just he picked up a gun, and it was so unwieldy. So that that's kind of my problem. Everything was attributed to Spike Lee's direction and how I think he mishandled the acting aspect, the the thing that was supposed to convey us emotionally through through a dramatic narrative. Jean Renault looked as if he had never handled a gun. Delroy Lindo, who is focused and capable and has real range and depth, was just mumbling and sort of babbling. Chadwick Boseman, as Norm was. He's literally a superhero in other movies, and he looked sickly and wasn't particularly inspiring in this movie, but they all looked up to Norm, which I attributed to their romanticizing of the person he was as opposed to who he actually was. Um, And then even Paul Walter Hauser, who you may not be a big fan of, who played nameless fat white guy. He had a name, but I don't know what it was. So good and nuanced as Richard Jewell, who was obviously a strange and maybe off-putting and complex person to play was just like the, I don't want to walk 20 miles to the river, man, was like the worst <laughs> like white guy ever. And then he made a very agile leap behind a stone. Like he did like a judo roll behind yeah. the stone. He saw right where those bullets were going to hit. So to take these great actors and what I felt was to mishandle them so that they didn't any of them give credible performances. I didn't feel like there was a ring of truth in any one of these characters except for Paul's inherent mistruth in being totally nuts and off the rails. Well, these were kind of extraordinary circumstances where people weren't exactly acting in their element. I mean, probably the person who was most in his element was the guide, Vin Tran, who apparently had a double life, you know, was not only a guide, but a fixer who could do unconventional fixing for internationals within Vietnam. And he played it pretty straight. But otherwise, these people were in kind of extraordinary circumstances, even Hetty in her, with all of her experience in the Vietnamese jungle, you know, didn't know how to handle five Americans going crazy and infighting and mutiny in the in the jungle. So that was the French girl who I fully expected to be Jean Renault's daughter, but wasn't? She was just there to set up the landmine, oh. the landmine device, which after their meet-cute in the bar, I was like, all right, so when's the landmine coming? Exactly. It didn't. So that didn't work for me in the sense that I was anticipating it, but it did work in the sense that the rest of the movie became suspenseful. The most benign, banal scenes I was like gritting my teeth, waiting for someone to step on the dreaded click. 
So when Eddie gets blown up, he's walking backwards and I'm waiting. Here it comes. Are, are you going to blow? hurry up and blow him up already? And then right when he's supposed to finish his thought, I said out loud, boom, at the exact moment that he boomed because it was coming and there was no suspense at all for me. I knew that it was inevitable and it diffused it. And if it had been completely out of the blue, then we might have been surprised. And it's not like we wouldn't have known what was happening. What happened? Landmine. Eddie stepped on a landmine is all they had to say. But they had to laboriously set it up. They had to have the French girl in there for no reason other than to get tied up to be a potential love interest. And then to get tied up, even though the next scene when they're walking along, none of them are tied up for some reason. Yeah. What was that about? And then later on at night, they were tied up. Exactly. And then yeah. there was another weird, mysterious jump in time when like... Delroy's going totally bonkers and they're and they're like overruling him they knock him upside the head and they're like we're taking back control and and then in the next scene they're just walking around like nothing happened and it's why I feel that it was placed squarely in the hands of someone who maybe overstepped a little bit in tying thematically Vietnam, which was a very political war, to this movie and the themes that were happening back home during the time of civil unrest in the 60s, not unlike what we're experiencing now. And I will give you that The Five Bloods thematically is a timely movie. It comes at the right point, except that this movie was released in June and was filmed a hell of a lot earlier than that. So I think that Spike Lee's introduction of this film in the middle of the Black Lives matter moment is fortuitous at best. So you're saying that thematically this thing doesn't coalesce. It's not exactly working. And I would agree too that storytelling wise it's got some real problems. You know I have issues when things are super convenient. And him deciding to take a crap exactly where gold bars happen to be buried in a landslide is grown worthy. He clinked the gold with the tip of his shovel. Not to mention the French landmine crew showing up right when David steps on the landmine. I was verbally expressing my dissatisfaction and disappointment, but... As, as was I. And so I get it, but I came away from Five Bloods thinking, there's a lot going on in that movie. There's a lot. Thematically, format, and style-wise, there's just a lot. And I felt like it was unwieldy. I agree that Spike Lee didn't seem to have a handle on all of it, but in some way it kind of it kind of gelled for me. And also, you know, full disclosure, not that it's confession or whatever, but I did go back to Vietnam with Vietnamese vets when I was directing Vietnam a lifelong journey for Hallmark, and a lot of what the Five Bloods were experiencing or at least David was really accurate and convincingly done like it was really similar to what that experience was for me, at least at the outset. I don't know what it is to be a vet. I've never been to Vietnam. You have. I can understand and I can try to say, I think the right word is sympathize, right? Sympathize, sympathy is opposed to empathy because I can feel bad for those people and feel for them, but not understand their plight. Is that the right word? Yeah. That, you know, obviously Paul, arguably anyone else, but definitely Paul was experiencing PTSD, especially because of what happened to Norm, which was a late stage reveal that we didn't need. So I sympathize as much as we can. Like First Blood, which was a better movie of this type, we get the experience of what it is to be a vet where this feeling of displacement doesn't leave. As a matter of fact, it only amplifies when you get home and you become, you're a different person than you were when you left and you don't have the ability to fit in as you once did. 
You're talking about Rambo, which they were bashing in the movie. Right. And yet adhered to thematically so closely. Maybe that was an afterthought because maybe they knew that this would be compared in some way to Rambo. But they did say they liked that movie, too. The one guy did. I feel like your beef with this film is that it wasn't neat and tidy and tied up in a cinematic bow. My beef with this movie is that if Spike Lee is going to impart a message, it should be loud and clear. He is the undisputed champion of in-your-face, on-the-nose filmmaking. Literally because he takes his camera and he puts it on his actor's nose and is literally in their face so that they can say things directly to camera, this fourth wall breaking, that he wants you to know. And still it made for a muddied composition. Because in the end, none of the characters were morally redeemed. Black Lives Matter got the money, and that's great and all, but this was a character-driven drama where none of the characters had a journey that would justify the movie and Spike Lee's message, which is really what this movie's about. You know, these guys don't have a big arc. Otis kind of starts the leader and the level-headed guy. I mean, Paul even says as much, and he ends that way. You feel like it's meant to be important. I was trying the entire time to latch on to what that importance was, and I felt frustrated that I couldn't get it. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's the style of filmmaking. I'm not sure what it is. I feel like it was like Jordan Peele's Us. It had something to say. There was a lot of promise made by a prominent black filmmaker, and you give it credence because of earlier works that were important. I do like a lot of Spike Lee movies. And coming into this and watching it fall apart before my eyes so that I had no idea what what I was supposed to take away from it, it was really hard. The reason Spike Lee exists is because he has an agenda and he has a platform and it's loud and clear. We kind of know what Spike Lee's deal is. And his other movies, they don't all adhere to that theme. Some of them are nuanced. Some of them are not about that theme whatsoever. But it's what he's known for. And it's what I think The Five Bloods aspires to forward his message, especially in our sociopolitical climate. I don't think it succeeded in doing so. To watch the trailer for this movie is a more rewarding experience than watching the movie all the way through, which inevitably disappoints. There's no way you're giving The Five Bloods a nope. I'm giving The Five Bloods a nope. Come at me, bro. I get what you're saying. Message is important. The film mishandled the message so badly that I feel like it takes away from the message. Tell me I'm wrong. Give it a good. Is it race-related at all? Everybody's experience was certainly a black experience, most particularly Paul, who kept bringing it up. Because what I'm hearing from you is that the concept at a base level was exciting and compelling to you. And then when it was injected with Spike Lee and the black experience, then it didn't work for you. So like how much of that is actually race related? My review and my rating of it is not race related whatsoever. Spike Lee's motivation in making the film was almost entirely race related. It was a movie about what it means to be black, both in present day and as the survivor of a historical event being the Vietnam War that was a markedly different experience if you were black than if you were white. Spike Lee went on record and he said that he showed this film to two theaters full of black and Puerto Rican veterans. And he told them, I made this movie for you. And they said, thank you, Spike Lee. What took you so long? 
and he left. So maybe he wasn't trying to teach the people who aren't black or brown anything new. He had to have made it for those who wouldn't otherwise have any concept of what this alternative experience might have been like. I mean, I feel like maybe this film wasn't particularly revelatory to you because of dad's experience. I mean, we grew up with a Vietnam War detractor and, I mean, a guy who, as a Japanese-American man born in American internment camps, already knew what these characters know, that the American dream is different. The American dream isn't for you or it's not your privilege. And that, you know, what seemed like a very radical, controversial, even anti-American way of being was something familiar to us, something that we grew up with. That's what the theme was, at least for me. I felt like that was the theme. I felt like it came through pretty clearly. And I think that it could be surprising, if not revelatory, to people who don't have exposure to these kinds of alternative experiences. Yeah, we talked about it with the report. We talked about it with Dark Waters. For me, an important message movie that doesn't effectively build a movie to convey said message. What's your review? Good. I think that there's enough there that's important, that that was compelling dramatically, and it wasn't important for it to be wrapped up in a bow for me. This was the Harriet of Vietnam movies. (laughs) Wow. You just panned in one review, Harriet, Us, and Defy Bloods. Yeah, while loving When We Were Kings and other Spike Lee movies. So I guess, whoa, this was an intense one, and there you got it. A nope from Wes, his lowest possible rating, a good from Iris, and we'd like to know what you think. Come at him, bro. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. If you like or whatever movies our podcast, please subscribe. It helps other people find us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.